Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part three of my conversation with David Hubert, Associate Provost for Learning Advancement at Salt Lake Community College. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. There's one one more thing that I I I'd like your take on as well, which is there's also been an undercurrent, you know, from mainstream, lots of mainstream, and it doesn't matter from from which which political party. It goes from New York Times as much as it's from everyone else, who have been even challenging perhaps not the concept of college, but how colleges, you know, what the value of college is today. Uh-huh. value of liberal arts education. Um, I think there's no secret that you and I both are big fans of it. So, you know, <laughs> I, I want to hear your take on, well, why is it that there is this narrative out there that says, you know, college is a waste of time or that, you know, you don't want to be I mean, you said so. You you teach political science. You don't want to be in political science. You should only go to college if you are going to go into engineering or STEM or something, right? Um, right. How do you? What do you think about this narrative? I see it, it. I see three lines of narrative. One has to do with the expense of college, and higher education really needs to come to grips with. The, the plain fact that uh, the cost of college has outstripped the inflation rate for decades. Why is that? Um, how is that money being utilized? Uh, that's a narrative that we have to come to grips with. And uh, if we don't come to grips with it, our, our state legislators will do it for us. So that's, that's one thing. And so when people think about, oh, do I want my kids to go to college? It's it's so much more expensive now than it was uh, when those parents were uh, contemplating going to college. So that's one thing. The the other thing is just the the utility of the credential, um, which I think in most respects is largely intact. Uh, when you look at the job market, uh, there's still a tremendous need for people with nursing degrees and uh, bachelor's degrees of business and so forth. Um, I think there are some changes that are happening in some fields. Uh, computer science comes to mind where there appears to be kind of a fragmenting of of the credentials that you might need uh, to succeed in that field. And then the third narrative is the much more ephemeral and intangible benefits of higher education. Um, the, the liberal education, the general education foundation, the preparation for being um, an engaged citizen, the um, kind of breadth of knowledge that you get from higher education that allows you to live what I think is a much more rewarding life, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. much more, it, it, it's a much better experience to go through life knowing what's going on around you. Uh, and being able to read and being able to appreciate the arts um, and understand the scientific challenges uh, that we're facing in terms of climate change or, you know, what's going on with the, mm-hmm. the web telescope. That's, that's super awesome. Um, mm-hmm. 
those three narratives or the, the ephemeral, the, 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 the less tangible aspects of higher education, the cost of higher education, and then, and then the, the, the credential benefit are doing some kind of weird dance, it seems to me right now. Um, and I think uh, people are, are seeing the high cost. They're not appreciating the, the intangible uh, aspects of higher education. And they're, they're only focused on that on that credential and what it can get me as an individual. So we lose sight of the public benefit of, of a highly educated um, population. I mean, that's the way I see it. I, I'm not, I'm not providing you any answers. I'm just sort of giving you an insight no, as to I how, I, how I think, I think about it. Is it. A, I think it's really well articulated. And, and I think that some of the relationship, unfortunately, is one that has a downward spiral effect because when mm-hmm. you, start to feel like that, well, there isn't enough value on this, then it allows your, you know, state to cut the budget. And by cutting the budget, the cost actually goes up. And the reason is you are, you have to now use tuition dollars to, to cover the budget that they just cut. Um, And, and I know that community colleges, you know, in, you know, traditionally has always been, you know, um, has a has a huge amount subsidized, you know, by you know by by the states, and so so were many state colleges. But we have known that in the last, let's call it maybe couple decades, many state colleges no longer operates that way. Right. Many state colleges have to charge a higher tuition, but also have their state budget cut to a huge amount. Um, some state colleges essentially operate as a private college. They just have the state's name on it. I right. Mean, they have we, very, very little state support. And and we're and we have quite little, a, you know yeah. we have quite a bit of support, uh, obviously from our state, but yeah. it's uh not as much I think as we should have. And we are very dependent on tuition dollars and and we're cognizant of every time that we raise tuition, are we are we cutting students out of of the possibility of going to higher ed. So uh, I feel, you know, very glad that, that our president and our institution has been very um, mindful of not raising tuition to, to try to chase those dollars. Right. Cause that's what um, almost most of the time happens is Mm -hmm. that you, you basically, you know, it costs a certain amount of money to run this institution. And I, I don't want to argue that, it's run in the hundred percent efficiency. There's probably areas where you go, well, that's you know, why why are we wasting money on this? Or there's some bureaucracy that might get in the way of some of that as well. So th- it's not all, you know, hundred percent, you know, rainbow and sunshine. But there is sort of in the bigger picture this idea that when the states, when we, when our when when we don't see education as a right, when we see it as sort of a eh, you know it's nice to have and and if you work for it you can get it, um, and then suddenly that that sort of translates it to well hold on a minute then why do we have to fund this um, and yeah. if, and we don't have to fund it and you by the way especially that many it happened over a very long time right so every time they cut another five percent. An institution goes well. We either got grant money, we either raised money, you know, from wealthy alum, 
or we able we were able to get um, tuition, um, or if you happen to have been one of these very lucky schools that had an endowment and that did really well, and we were able to draw yeah. from that, we were able to cover the deficit of the five percent that we got cut this year, and then another two years later, another five percent, and you did the same exercise. Suddenly, it's almost kind of like, well, you know, at some point, it's sort of this downward spiral, you know. Well, I think the the ultimate result of the downward spiral is the is the transition from seeing education as a public good, as a benefit for the common, mm-hmm. you know, for for everyone in society, to it being a private good. Right? You get yours, and I'll get mine, and uh, we don't we don't owe each other anything. Um, and I think that that mindset is ultimately self defeating. I, I think, you know, if you look at the prosperity of the United States in the 60s and 70s and 80s, for instance, um, it, it was a direct result of the expansion of higher education uh, following World War II. And I think that we basically killed the upward mobility um um, uh, opportunities. I think that there is such thing as an upward mobility index of each country, and the United yeah. States is not doing all so well, even though it's always been what's called the American dreams, that right. that's what American dream is about, is that you have this unlimited potential to upward mobility. Um, laws of large we, numbers. We, we want a higher education system that can facilitate upward mobility right. rather than one that simply right. uh, cements existing social arrangements. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to say that it's gone away completely because the American dream still exists for lots of people. So if you, you know, go and watch like sure. Shark Tank or whatever, you know, you go, oh, it's, it's happening live and well. It's live and well, but for a much smaller number of people than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something that actually is a little bit of a myth right now, you know, for folks from, you know, from different places to sort of think about the, 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 the opportunity to, to, um, you know, it's this idea of if you are from, you know, a family that doesn't have resource, you are more likely than other people, than people who have resource to stay in, 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 the, in the next generation of family without resource for your children. Right, um, right. And that's, that's a, that's, that's really the effect of this, you know, sort of, it's a, it's a private service, you know, like if you can afford it, sure, you can continue yeah. this really fabulous um, you know, um, uh, way of getting fulfillment in life in, in all kinds one, of ways. One of the reasons, yeah. It's one of the reasons why I really enjoy working at a community college, right? We, we are the first rung on the ladder of higher education. We keep our tuition down. We serve um, a great deal of first-generation students. Uh, we have small class sizes. We do not have any large lecture halls, so um, <laughs> you get to know your awesome. yeah. you get to know your faculty. Um, so we really are uh, we really exemplify kind of that America as a land of opportunity. That's that's one of the super things about working at a community college. Yeah. Now you had mentioned a few times already. I don't want to not talk about this OER. So tell people what it is, open educational resources. What is it? How are you doing it? What do you see? How do you see that moving forward in education? So open educational resources are uh, an attempt to uh, lower costs 
for students and improve access for students by making the educational resources. So for instance, things like textbooks openly licensed uh, so that students can access them for free or very, very low cost. Uh, we have had an OER initiative at Salt Lake Community College since I think 2013. It was started by my colleague, Jason Pickavance, who's another associate provost. It's now in my area, but we recently calculated that since 2013, we have saved students over $20 million in textbook costs alone through our OER initiative. And our initiative encourages faculty to either adopt um, existing OERs that, that other folks have written and that are widely available or to um, create our own. And I, before I even knew what OER was, I was involved in creating content for my students that I would uh, uh, release to them for free. Mm -hmm. um, I have uh, since developed that into uh, my own textbook. So I teach introductory US government and politics. And uh, I was always uncomfortable with the textbooks that existed. They're expensive. Um, they're overly jammed with concepts that I don't think students necessarily uh, need. Uh, and so they, they can't figure out what's important and what's not. Uh, mm -hmm. And I, and I kind of thought that they were written in a style that, that I didn't appreciate. So um, I was supported by my institution several years ago, right actually just before the pandemic started, um, to take my existing materials and put them together and really, I really worked, you know, harder on this than I did on my PhD dissertation, I have to tell you, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. uh, I worked for a year yeah. and a half um, and I wrote a, a U.S. government textbook. It's called Attenuated Democracy, a Critical Introduction to U.S. Government and Politics. And um, it's just, it's been the most rewarding thing, I think, that I have done academically um, in, in my career. So it was put out uh, during the pandemic in, in the first year, um, uh, 6,800 students uh, used it. Uh, and then the second year, 29,500 students used it. So now I'm into, into the third year. Um, it's being adopted at, at institutions around the country. And then I'm reaching out to those faculty who are adopting it and creating a resource site and sharing uh, assignments between the folks who are using it um, so that we have kind of try to develop a community of users. Um, and it's just been very, very rewarding. And, and the students love it. it. It takes a very down to earth, critical approach to US government. It tries to balance um, kind of our natural cynicism about the way the American political system works and tends to serve those who who um, are economically already doing quite well. Uh, the system tends to serve them uh, at the expense of ordinary people, but it balances that cynicism with uh, a, a, an approach of if if ordinary people organize and and work hard they can get the system to address their needs and and they have in the past so uh, i get a lot of students coming out of my class who say you know i really like that 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 approach of you're you're telling me what's wrong with the system but you, but i don't i don't just throw my hands up and and feel like it's helpless i feel like i know how to go out now and run for office start an organization join an organization campaign for a politician um, really uh, affect change. So 
that's been very rewarding to me is to see student reactions to the to the textbook. That's amazing. And for those who are interested in checking this out, um, whether it be just to check out the material and learn about OER or to actually use it with the students and, you know, et cetera, where would they go to do this? So they can go to the online uh, indices of, of OER textbooks. So if you look for OER textbooks, there's lots of sources for that. Uh, you can also go to our, our site, um, uh, and you go to slcc.pressbooks.pub, uh, and then you can search our catalog there. It's just called Attenuated Democracy. I think if they probably Googled that as a, as a textbook yeah. link, they'll, they'll find it as and, well. And it's just $200? Oh, how, no, how it's, free. <laughs> it's free. It's free. So you're Open saying that all of, all of these textbooks used in you did not rake in millions of dollars? In, uh, I did not in rake in millions of dollars. <laughs> I did get some support from my institution just to, to mm -hmm. write it, but now it's out there and uh, yeah. I keep updating it. So much happens in our political system <laughs> that uh, yeah. I have to keep updating it. So that's a, that's a bit of a chore, but it's a, it's a rewarding one. It keeps me fresh. Yeah. And that's the, one of the things about and I actually find this to be really interesting that you had, you had, um, it's, it's not only for the cost, but it's also for the contents and the style yeah. of the textbook that, that existed before. And I would even sort of sometimes, you know, kind of feel like that, um, you know, kind of going back to the costs, you know, of uh, being a college student, mm -hmm. um, to me, the idea that textbook could, I mean, now, I mean, with OER, you can make it freely accessible, which is amazing. But before that, even buying used books, et cetera, it costs so much money. Oh, so much, yeah. To do that, that it feels like, it feels, and, and here's the amazing thing. You have just proven how the economics of it doesn't have to be like that, right? Right. If greed and profit wasn't part of the sort of the 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 part of the equation, you know, and the drive and the incentives of why these textbooks existed in the first place, yeah, um, right. If if it existed because you wanted people to be able to learn from it, um, it turns out that is possible, and it turns out that the cost of doing so, especially with technology today, is relatively inexpensive. You know, sure, someone has to. I'm sure someone had put up the resource to post the the the, the book sure. and the and the contents, etc. But it's nowhere near the type of, you know, the type of expenses that that incurs if we each of those twenty nine thousand or however many student thousands of students are buying paying a hundred two hundred dollars for that book. Yeah, because it cycles back to the the free range theme we're developing here today. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. That yeah. knowledge knowledge should be free, especially I think mm -hmm. for students. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh that's uh that's an amazing service, um, David. I imagine that all the people who are listening or watching this would uh would like me to thank you for it. Oh. Um on the on their behalf. Thanks. Um and of course on all of the you know, for, for all of those students that you, you were able to help. But I really hope that more folks get onto that um, that opportunity to publish things in you know for in OER um, 
it just as OER because it, it it can change already some of the narrative of this. Because if, imagine if we can do that, we just cut down the expenses. You know, as much as we were talking about budget before, right? Um, yeah. For how it's, um, you know um, institutions have to manage that, we are now helping students manage their budgets too. You know, by cutting down this part of the expenses, so suddenly the cost of attending college in total actually just gotten lower because of this. Yeah, and I and I think in addition to providing that sort of service to students, it's also enriching and revitalizing for faculty to get involved in developing or adapting existing open educational resources. And that's the nice thing about this is that there are now uh, several introductory U.S. government textbooks that are Mm -hmm. openly licensed, just as there are for many disciplines. And the neat thing about it is, is you can mix and match. You can say, oh, I like these chapters from this one and these mm-hmm. other chapters from that one. And because they're openly licensed, you can meld them together and write your own introductions to those chapters uh, as a faculty member. And that, particularly for community college faculty who are often not engaged in the kind of research that R1 university faculty are, um, I think that's an outlet to plug you into your discipline and mm-hmm. revitalize your knowledge uh, as you engage in, in open open content development or adaptation. Yeah. I, I, I think it's it's a it's a it's a fantastic way to to I mean I, I feel like that it is um you know it it also changes and I like that it's actually called resources and not textbooks because yeah. I think it changes the way that we we even have this relationship with a textbook. You know? Um it feels like to me always before that I don't know. As a student, I was not that studious in in terms of you know. I I was not the student that would do all of the additional reading. In fact, yeah. I don't even know if I do the required reading. I do the, <laughs> the absolute minimum. I was really I was a good student in in many other ways. I just wasn't into that. In in some ways, I think naturally I'd always thought, look, the textbook isn't the kind of thing I want to do for fun. It's not. Right. It's, it's so it it you know and. But then to a certain extent, I always wonder, why is that? Why is it that this book that everyone's supposed to read, everyone's, it should be millions of people read this thing, and it's going to be helping us so much, but are the most boring, dry, and, you know, like, unengaging, difficult to digest, you know, content. They don't have to be. Um, but right? unfortunately, a lot of textbooks are. I, stri- I strove yeah. to to make mine uh, very accessible and very readable. So, yeah, I think but students that in and of itself that. already. I, I totally agree. That in and of itself is already you know um, a, a huge part because you know just to just to be able to get the language to be understandable and accessible by more people mm-hmm. is. Is one of those things, and I do think it's interesting because in many academic sort of writing and publishing, you almost want to make it less accessible because it makes you sound Sound smarter, smarter, sound more educated. You're using bigger words. You are using more, you know, concepts and and theories that people hadn't heard yet so now you have all these footnotes and 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 all you know and, and, and in many cases that's so off, right? 
Yeah. In many cases, that's exactly what students don't need. I mean, obviously, you need to introduce them to the academic language of your discipline, sure. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you can go overboard with that. And and in my discipline, in in political science, um, students come with a great deal of frustration. Mm -hmm. I think they pick up on... Mm on the fact that the that the system is not working for ordinary people but they they don't have the vocabulary to articulate that particularly well mm. so that's one of the things that i stress is really trying to help them understand the system and be able to put it in their own words what they dislike about it and what they would like to see changed and that is beautiful um so David, um, are there any things that we, <laughs> I feel like we can talk for another couple more hours, but are there any like big topics that we didn't cover that you feel like that we, we would have missed the boat if we didn't talk about? I don't know. Um, I'm just saying, I'll just say that I, I love my job. I love my situation. I walk to work. I walk back home from work. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm working with fabulous people. And I'm making a contribution in students' lives, and I'm really looking forward to my first class on Monday night uh, because uh, I I feel like I benefit so much from interacting with students, and I and I miss being in the physical classroom. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm grateful to have had this conversation with you, and I'm sure that many of the listeners are are too. You are you are a real breath of fresh air. Um, and, uh, it's still got that organic grass fed feel, yeah, you know, yeah, so I think that's yeah. good. Um, and, uh, uh, just a couple of plugs for you. I, I, you probably won't ever do this, but I wanted to do it for you because you're just such a great, great person to be around because if they don't come to attend community college, you know, Salt Lake Community College, they won't get to meet you necessarily, but yeah. that's not actually true. They get to meet you sometimes at different conferences. So please look out for those, but also, Obviously, your OER, you can they can read your voice and your 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 ideas in in your book, uh, which we'll put a link to um, it, uh, you know to the show notes of this uh, podcast or, or or YouTube video or, or or wherever you know the the you know this goes. And then in addition to that, um, um, any institute coming up that you'd want to um, let people know about if they want to you know learn from you and and, and have the opportunity to work with you. Well, I've had the great fortune of of being a faculty at several of the AACNU uh, institutes, particularly the Institute on General Education and Assessment uh, and the Institute on High Impact Practices. Those uh, typically take place in June, and they'll be advertised by AACNU probably in the February time period, so institutions can sign up for that. And then I'm also involved in the the ePortfolio Institute and the OER Institute, which are year-round uh, virtual. Mm-hmm. They, they started in the summer uh, and they'll go through uh, next summer. So, But if you go to the aacu.org, um, uh, you and can look, look for, Look under institutes. There are they look under institutes, institutes yeah. yeah. And they, so they just involved. do great, great work at AACNU. They really do. And um, they, they employ, you know, just the best, you know, around the, the world, um, uh, you know, s- folks like David Hubert and folks like uh, Pablo Avia, 
yeah. um, you know, who are, you know, all the, all the people who are, you know, you know, having a lot of practical know-hows as well as the theoretical and being able to sort of put that to use. And if uh, folks who are listening, who are in institutions where you feel like I need a little external jolt to start some initiative or to start an idea, um, look into these resources because I think they're they're tremendously helpful and can save you a lot of headache, time, yeah. and, and money probably. Indeed, yeah. All right. Well, David, it is so great to speak to you again, and I can't wait to see you again in, 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 in person. Um, and uh, I hope it won't be too, too long um, when, when that happens. Uh, and, uh, but meanwhile, stay well and stay healthy. And I hope you have a wonderful first class next week and a good semester. And, and I look forward to getting updates from you in the future, especially once you get through to the prison um, program, because that sounds like a, a, another you know, great um, program. And I feel like a lot to be learned from that too. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's been a great uh, time talking with you today and uh, my best to you and your family. All right. Take care. All right. This concludes our conversation. To hear our next episode, be sure to subscribe to Digication Scholars Conversations on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. The Digication Scholars Conversation series is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Thanks for tuning in.